0: You're listening to the
1: Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. I'm your host, Jessica, and today we're actually throwing it back quite a few episodes to one of our old season one favorites. Uh, we're going to actually explore and listen to some student stories around their experiences with project-based learning. We're also going to listen into to an interview with a project-based learning STEM teacher, uh, and hear from education leaders in the project-based world, Bob Lenz and John Larmer of Buck Institute for Education. They'll tell us about PBL there and the impact that PBL has had on student achievement. Let's get right to it.
2: Today, we're talking about projects. So Megan, quick question. You hear the word project. What do you think?
3: Uh, what do I think? Projects. I think of a lot of things. I mean, I think... I think of project-based learning because of what we do here at Getting Smart. Um, I think of just about every single thing I do in my work at Getting Smart is a project, whether it's publications, strategic communication plans, uh, thought leadership campaigns, all of those things I feel like boil down to projects and deliverables. Gosh, I even think a lot of what I do at home feels like projects. Um, I think as a project manager, you kind of can turn anything into a project, break it down into sizable chunks and build a timeline. Yeah, I think everything's projects.
2: It sounds like you put the pro in projects. Um, (laughs) Thanks, Tyler. Yeah. You like that? I did. Um, So the projects that you're doing now as an adult, how did you get these skills? Like, was there any cool or meaningful projects that you did in what was it, Catholic, Catholic school?
3: Um, Cool and meaningful projects. I would probably say no. I mean, not that we didn't do projects. We did a lot of projects. Um, and I think all of those things um, led to my understanding of content, for sure. Um, but I don't know that I ever really developed project management skills until I was in the workforce. I mean, we did a little bit with timelines and we did, you know, breaking down things and working collaboratively with other people. But I don't know that there was a really clear intention on the project management skills per se.
2: Because we recently visited uh, Raisbeck Aviation High School in the Highland School District. So it's just right by us here in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are some students working on a really cool project they were designing an airfoil, you know, for airplanes.
3: Oh, super cool. Uh, but I don't know what an airfoil is.
2: Well, let's listen to the students and uh, they will explain. These are, these are uh, seniors um, in flight by design, um, a junior and senior level engineering course. So their names are Ian, Simon and Catherine in Mr. Uh, Joshi's
4: class. Awesome. So this year, we have a task uh, to design an airfoil based on a set of equations developed uh, to design airfoils back in the 1950s. And then we will have to figure out which airfoils have which different characteristics and uh, pick one to match a demand uh, given to us by our teacher. And we have to uh, argue why our airfoil is the best one for this short demand.
5: Yeah, so we're going to be presenting at the end of the second semester when everything is completed and we'll be showing the different airfoils that we've tested and what we have discovered between each of them, similarities or differences. And so I'm hoping that from what we learned, it would agree with the judges since they are all established engineers themselves and um, just making sure that all of those work out together.
4: I've been on the uh, robotics team at this school for several years now. And uh, I've worked on both the CAD sub teams and the electrical subteams. So I've helped design the robot one year, and then I've also helped wire it. And uh, those two have been pretty much separate roles. So I've been seen, always seen one side or the other. And this class has really been connecting both of them because I've helped design the uh, airfoil itself. And I'm actually getting to help with the actual testing and building of the airfoil. So it's really amazing to see those two things connected.
5: Becoming a lead has helped us to uh, teach other students and it's helped diminish the amount of time required so that Mr. Joshi won't have to teach all of us because in a real work environment, um, your boss isn't going to be telling you everything you need to do. You need to go out and research on your own and then come up with your own process and be able to teach that to other people.
4: My career goals are hopefully to become a mechanical electrical engineer. And uh, this is really uh, showing me the uh, side of engineering, where we have to go through the entire design pro- process. We have to create a document a document that has all the documentation about what we did, what problems we encountered, how we overcame them. And uh, we have to keep track of all these for each section of this project. So it's really showing us what we would do in a real a world where we have to design something and we also have to keep track of what we did so we can uh, demonstrate our process was sound.
6: What's been fascinating about this project is it has, much, it has, in many ways, mirrored my internship experience. I've been working on a collaborative project with others and focusing on individual learning. I've been able to study on my own and prepare for class um, so I can come in and work with my peers to do something that I couldn't do alone.
5: So I agree with both of them as well. I also want to be a mechanical engineer. And so seeing before going into college what that would look like for me, uh, where we're able to design something and build it and test it, that really mirrors what I will do in the future. And so it's been uh, a good challenge in order to learn from those mistakes and then see if I really want to do that.
6: The, The skills we're learning now, just being able to schedule our time, work with others, and collaborate on a project is something that's invaluable. I've used these projects and in inters- I've used these skills in internships and I can't wait to use them in the future in college and career when I need to work on a team. It's so valuable.
4: I've also had these, uh, used these type of skills in internships. I've had two different internships, one at this company called Esteline high tech finishes and the other at Carlisle interconnect technologies, same one as Ian had one at. And, uh, it's really been interesting since I worked those internships before this class. And at Carlisle, I was a manufacturing engineering intern, and it really—I did work with some of this similar stuff. It really showed me like what does, uh, what you can really do uh, if you follow this project-based le- uh, learning. It really prepares you for the real-world stuff because this. I took this class after my internship, so I, really, I was wasn't it didn't have that much preparation for the internship. But seeing as if I had taken this class before, I think I would have been a lot more prepared to do really
6: well at the internship. You know, I would tell my future self to go all in on the project, to dive in and never look back. There's there's so much depth you can find on a project, and I've been able to really make my experience better because I have a mentor who's been encouraging me and has even helped me find ways to make the project more meaningful through finding additional equations or trying to make it even cooler, making an even better airfoil um, that have made it a lot of fun and make every single day an experience of a lifetime.
4: I completely agree with Ian. Before I went to this school, I didn't really know much about project-based learning. I was used to standard just textbook, read read it, study. Uh, But going here, I was like, so there's this new thing called project-based learning. I wonder what it's like. And it's really interesting. Once you dive into it, it's a little bit intimidating at first. But once you dive into it, you realize you never really want to go back to the old way, because you just learn so much more, and it's so engaging.
5: So I've had a mentor. She works at Boeing right now as a flight director. And um, so she hasn't personally helped me with this project, but she's helped me understand um, in the real world what it would be like working with Boeing and doing different tests with their uh, new planes. And so she's helped me kind of see on the broad spectrum. And then also another mentor who's helped me with this class um, was my dad, since he worked at, works at Microsoft right now. And so he's helped me understand coding and seeing how we would use different um materials in the project, and since I didn't really know much about it beforehand, so he really helped open my eyes to it.
6: Um, I can share even more. So, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I learn best when I have someone I'm accountable to, and whether that's a teacher or an another adult, when I feel that someone really values and, and cares about my learning experience, I learn at a far faster rate, and I'm more accountable, both to myself and that other person. And have, I have a mentor now who works at Boeing. Um, I also interned at Boeing. And he's he's been encouraging me to find ways to apply this. These skills I've learned in Excel to manipulate data um, I've been able to develop in this class and then apply elsewhere. I've been able to take skills I've learned here in technical writing and apply them to college applications and more.
4: I really like uh, the part of aspect of project-based learning where we get to present our projects and findings at the end of the year to a group of panel of engineers or Whatever uh, experts in the field they may be, because it really allows you to uh, allows you a chance to really argue your proof and show that. You did this right, and you know your uh, your conclusion is sound. Versus a normal class, you might get it wrong. You'd get a lower grade, and you'd be like, "Oh, okay," and just move on. But this one, you really have to defend your uh, answer. I'm really hoping that uh, the engineers will see our answer as a va- uh, our airfoil as a valid airfoil for whatever demand we have, so that uh, we'll we'll know that our numbers were good and that we were able to uh, test for the correct aspects of the airfoil, so that we were able to find a correct airfoil for the
6: problem. I can't wait for them to come in and tell us that we got it exactly right. Um, but in the but in context, I want them to say, you know, look, you've developed this airfoil system, and then it's not exactly what we do here, but it's very close. This is the kind of thing you need to go and build an airfoil at Boeing, at Cessna, at a real aerospace company.
5: Mm-hmm. So I uh, completely agree with both of them. I I think that I would want my airfoil and my answer to the criteria presented that it would be true to what engineers are actually doing. And if it isn't, then they would provide feedback where we are able to grow and learn from those mistakes that we possibly made during our procedure. And so having um, being able to present to a panel of judges that are experts in their field can really help us to improve and grow for the future.
2: Now, let's hear about the same project from the teacher's point of view. This is Mr. Josie. He has an interesting background.
3: Yeah, so he was a former Microsoft engineer and program manager, right? What?
2: Yes, so he's been teaching for the last eight years, and he runs classes like he's the project manager. Um, So let's listen to him discuss his work, his students, his course, and why this matters.
0: My name is Nick Hill-Joshi. I'm a math and science teacher here at Aviation High School, at Raisbeck Aviation High School. And uh, I teach three classes. I teach pre-calculus this year, and I teach an astronomy class. and I teach a uh, flight by design, which is a junior and senior level engineering course. Uh, In previous years, I've taught uh, programming, and I've taught AP calculus. Well, Flight by Design was a great opportunity. In fact, it's exactly what I wanted to do when I decided I wanted to become a teacher. Uh, it's a engineering, science, and math-based elective course where I was given free reign to just come up with a project-based class that um, would help students understand what kind of work would be required of them out in the real world if they became scientists or engineers. Uh, it's. It took me a couple of years to figure out how to make Flight by Design work properly and what it really should be. And that's one of the hallmarks, I think, of project-based learning is it, it takes a couple of years of... Just like engineering anything, it takes many tries and failed attempts, and uh, going back and figuring out what went wrong, and iterating and fixing until it comes out to be what you want it to be. So, in its current um, incarnation or incarnation, excuse me, Fly By Design uh, is a uh, project-based class, but it's different from many others because the entire year is spent working basically on one project. The project is split into three milestones. And in those milestones, students uh, understand the mathematics behind airfoil shapes as uh, they were determined by uh, the NACA, which was uh, the predecessor to NASA in the 1930s and doing research in airfoils and airplane design. So they understand the history of those equations, how the equations work. They implement the equations and and generate airfoil shapes. They import those equations and the data points from those equations into a CAD program to design an airfoil. They test it in the wind tunnel. And then, They designed a full wing beam with spars and trusses uh, to to understand how they can make that wing lightweight, efficient, and and strong so that it can hold up to a lot of load and actually lift an airplane up into the sky. The goal of the class is to have the students work as engineers uh, in in an engineering style environment. Um, School today is just so artificial. Um, you, You show up. you. Listen to somebody talk, you do some exercises, you take a test. It has nothing to do really with the the real world or how work is done in the real world. And one of my goals when I wanted to become a teacher was to try to add some relevance, some context so that what we have students do in the classroom mimics what we would expect them to do out in the real world. So that was the goal behind Flight by Design. Uh, In it, I serve essentially as a senior vice president of engineering. Or a, or a senior, or, or, or an engineering lead, in a co- in a corporation, and the kids work as engineers who are reporting to me. I give them uh, some basic goals or design constraints. We need to have this kind of um, object designed and built under these c- criteria. But they own it from that point on. They have to take this you know, semi-ambiguous problem statement and break it down, refine it. Uh, they generate their own schedules, their own deliverables. They have to document their process. Uh, I meet with them on a weekly basis, figure out what their progress is, what their status is, what their, you know see if they actually fulfill the promises they made to me from the previous week as to what work would be done, what work would be delivered, um, and the quality of the work. Um, so that it just feels so when they get out into the workplace and they've got a manager, uh, it will not be unfamiliar to them. They, they understand what's expected of them. Uh, to really pull that out, I, I was able to leverage my experience, uh, as a, a program manager at Microsoft, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. Um, in fact, the very first day of the class, I pull out some of my old pro- uh, program specifications and project documentation that I did at Microsoft. And I've made copies of them and I hand them out and I show them to the kids. I'm saying, look, I, I'm not going to make you do anything in this class that isn't actually going to be required of you out in the world when you become an engineer. Um, so right up front, they they can kind of see that the class is different. Uh, we use terminology that uh, they'll hear when they get out into the real world, you know, milestones, professional design, preliminary design reviews, final design reviews, etc. The bigger picture is I think one of the most valuable traits a, a person can have is perseverance. And that failure is, uh, is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, we talk about trial and error as a problem-solving technique. And so allowing students to fail repeatedly um, is, is a fabulous learning technique. Um, and that it's okay, that we expect them to take risks and that's, and we understand that in our experience as adults and in society that uh, nothing ventured, nothing gained, and that uh, if you don't take risks and are allowed to fail gracefully, you're not going to learn and you're not going to progress. And so um, in this case, if a kid you know comes up with a design that I, I know isn't going to work or isn't going to work well, I'm not going to tell them no not right away Uh, I'm gonna say go ahead and explore that let me know how it works out okay and what I'm looking for there is if the if it's not working out I want to see if that kid comes back and asks me for some more questions or some uh, for some guidance or if that kid warns me as an employee, saying, "Well, my progress is stymied because of X, Y, and Z, I want to see how that kid is reacting to a situation where I know they're probably not going to be as successful as they could be. Um, and then we'll talk it out. If it doesn't work, what happened? What did, you know? What was your first clue? What should you have looked for? Uh, oh, perhaps you should have done an intermediate test to make sure that it would have worked, or that you were heading down the wrong path. And in that way, they can they can build up this um, experience of failure and how to deal with it and how to react to it so that they're better prepared out in the real world. And that's, that's the way everybody works. That that's what happens out there when you're, whether you're trying to build an iPod or a piece of software or an airplane or a rocket or a car. or or a chair or a desk. There's lots of different design possibilities and you have to explore those possibilities and figure out which ones are valuable, which ones aren't. Uh, I'd ask teachers, if you have any kind of experience uh, prior to teaching in any kind of job, think about the workflows, the processes that you went through to do your job. Think about the kinds of research that you had to do, the kind of documentation you had to generate and try to figure out how can you simulate those same kinds of workflows and processes in the in the in your classroom work so that it's not artificial so that your classroom work is, does not feel artificial and that so that when the kids make the transition into the workforce they're familiar with that kind of that kind of work if a, if you, if you're you know a career teacher who's always been a teacher Uh, it's really, you know, valuable to research different, uh, professional organizations. So we're a STEM based school, science, technology, engineering, and math. And so we already have a lot of connections. And over the years we've developed connections with professional engineering societies. Um, but look for areas that you're interested in, like engineers or architects or, uh, you know, electricians, whoever does the kind of work that's most similar to the kinds of work that you're doing in the classroom and connect with those people, interview them, ask them, what do you do on a daily basis? What kind of uh, skills do you use? What kind of research do you do? How do you track your progress? How do you measure your results? How do you report and communicate to your to your teammates or to your bosses and understand what the real world workflows and processes are? And then see how you can, uh, you know, modify your curriculum to encompass those so that, The work that kids are doing in the classroom is authentic and will be, you know, will be not unfamiliar when they go out in the workforce. It just makes it much more real for the kids. Perhaps even the first step is change your terminology. Instead of saying first draft, just talk about, you know, version one of the documentation or preliminary design review, for example, is what I use. That's really just a rough draft, but it's a, um, but it's a way for the kids to get familiar with the idea that, yes, people do rough drafts all the time in the real world. and But we don't necessarily call them that. Uh, so becoming familiar with, with uh, how work is done in the in outside the confines of a classroom or academia is very important so that you can tailor your coursework to, to mimic that. We can use these different tools now than uh, what was available in the 1950s or the 1900s or the 1850s for that matter. And that's what's really exciting. I hope classrooms look, uh, very, very different, uh, instead of textbooks. Now we're using documentation from the real world. Um, and we're using, um, you know, real, uh, using living documents and from that we can access via the internet and et cetera. Um, and the kids are working on projects that um, are meaningful and, and hands on. It seems like the biggest problem is that when we stopped doing, you know, kids do projects up until about second or third grade. And all of a sudden we stop doing projects and it's read this and fill in that, read this, fill in that. I think we should continue doing projects all the way through.
3: Project-based learning is really engaging. We know this much, and it's something that the nation is talking about. We've heard a lot about it lately. In the recent White House Summit on Next Generation High Schools, the term project-based learning alone was mentioned over 100 times. So as a nation, I think we're understanding more and more that this is going to be an important part of the student experience.
2: Yes. And you know we've had some great blogs on gettingsmart.com about the topic, too. Um, we also recently had the opportunity to chat with Bob Lenz, uh, Executive Director of the Buck Institute for Education, an organization devoted to spreading what they call gold standard project-based learning. We also spoke with John Lemmer, Editor-in-Chief at Buck Institute for Education as well, and uh, he's the author of many books on the subject of PBL.
3: That's right. So there's a few key characteristics of gold standard project-based learning. Let's listen to them talk about the importance and impact of project-based learning. We'll start with John, who describes what a good student project is. Then we'll hear from Bob, where he tells a great story about a former teacher, or his, Mr. Cooper, and the impact he's had on Bob and others.
7: A good student project is not what we would call a dessert project, where kids just build something or do a PowerPoint presentation for their class, enter some research. A good project really is more in depth and sustained over a long period of time. Students work in teams and it's a lot more complicated than just a simple project that people might think of. Gold standard project-based learning is a model we developed in 2014 to help make sure project-based learning is high quality. So there are seven elements to it. In the center are student learning goals, but the seven elements for a good project, you've got a challenging problem or a question that sort of frames the whole thing. There's sustained inquiry, where students are investigating things over time. It's authentic, meaning it's as real world as possible. There's student voice and choice, where students are given some choice over how they work and what they create. There's reflection, so students are reflecting on what they learn and how they learn, how the project is going. Critique and revision, where students are using formative assessment to improve their products, because high quality products are another hallmark of PBL. And finally, a public product where students are sharing their work with a public audience of some sort.
8: So I was in the fifth grade, my teacher, Mr. Cooper, um, had us do a project that was a poetry project. And we created our own poetry books, uh, working uh, sort of in the maker tradition, um, writing our own poetry, using our best penmanship. Uh, and putting that together in a theme, and then with an exhibition, which was a poetry reading with our parents. This was in 1976. I still have that book. Uh, When I was a teacher in middle school in San Francisco, I did that same project with my students, and we had local poets from uh, North Beach come and read their poetry with kids. When I was in a high school teacher in suburban Marin County, We did a poetry project where students created MTV poetry and we created a poetry cafe where teacher, where the kids and the local poets showed their videos and then read their poems. And then once again, and in urban high schools through envision schools, we did the same project. This is from 1976, 1990, and 2011. Students working using project based learning, suburban, urban, secondary middle high school uh i don't believe that a lot has changed in the way that students learn um students learn when they're deeply engaged in challenging problems where they're working with authentic topics where they have voice and choice where there's a public product this is uh time unbound um in the uh, before in the early part of the last part of the 20th century in the first part of maybe the 21st century We had the luxury that not all students needed to learn this way because the economy had places for them to fall into. We don't have that luxury anymore. And so we know how to do project-based learning really well, and we need to make that happen because our economy and our democracy demand it. I'm really excited to be uh, working at BIE um, as the executive director. I just started about six months ago because the demand and interest in project-based learning is expanding rapidly. A recent White House summit on Next Generation High Schools, just about every speaker talked about the need um, and the desire for project-based learning to be happening in in all of our high schools across the country. And the big question is, that's a big lift. And how do we get from teaching to a standardized test to teaching teachers to um, implement really great project based learning. One area of promise I see is using uh, platforms um, that are open education research or, or resources uh, to provide really great projects available to teachers so that they can implement high quality projects as they're learning how to do this work. So. If you have capacity building through professional development and really high quality examples uh, for teachers to try out first, I think it will make the road a lot easier towards um, implementing great projects. And one of the things that we're gonna be working and thinking a lot internally with BIE and our partners is how do we make it easier for teachers and schools to deliver great project-based learning for students that teaches them to become uh, effective, learn the content and be effective communicators, collaborators, problem solvers, um, self-directed learners, um, yeah, so that they're ready to uh, for their futures.
2: So, what should people do if they want to learn more?
3: Well, every year there's PBL World, which brings together educators to discuss best practices and new ideas around project-based learning. For more information, our listeners can visit pblworld.org. What?
2: Did you say education conference in Napa Valley this summer?
3: Sign up now. And in addition, there's a super cool event at PBL World that will focus on how ed tech companies are helping educators and students manage projects. So to learn more about project-based learning, learn more about ed tech and how ed tech can support amazing student projects, and honestly, maybe even grab a glass of wine with some interesting educators from across the globe, go to PBL World.
2: So we want to thank Buck Institute for Education for sponsoring this podcast. The BIE team has a website. You can visit them at bie.org. They have resources, including books and blogs and video content. They also have partnerships with schools and districts that you can check out from around the world. Check them out again at bie.org.
1: Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning in today. We'll be back next week with a new episode. If you like this episode, please make sure you subscribe and rate us. It helps your friends find us and helps us get better. And as well, for more on anything innovations and learning, be sure to check out our blog at gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Jessica signing off.